This is Isabel Cortez, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Scary Stories for the Soul. I spend a lot of time on this podcast telling you all fictional stories based on folk tales and legends from around the world, but there is one ghost story that sits a little bit closer to home that I would like to share with you all today, and trust me, it's very rare that we get a story like this, a story that gripped the nation with fear and curiosity and wonder. And it really is a story to behold, because no haunting gives the chills quite like the Bell Witch Haunting of Robertson County, Red River, Tennessee. From 1817 to 1821, farmer John Bell Sr. and his daughter Betsy Bell were mercilessly attacked by a spirit who was less than shy about making its presence known. The poltergeist in question openly spoke to the Bell family and anyone who would listen to it. It banged on walls, called out people's names, sang songs, and even recited passages from the Bible. It had little regard for anonymity or mystery, and was all too happy to let anyone who would hear it know that it was there to torment the Bell family. The haunting became so popular that people began to visit the Bell home in the hopes that they would be treated to some paranormal activity, and that they were. While their transcripts from visitors and newspaper articles gave entertaining accounts to the phenomena surrounding the bells, the most vivid retelling of events came from Martin V. Ingram in his 1894 book, Authenticated History of the Bell Witch. He is the one we can thank for the story that you're about to hear. Our American ghost story begins in the winter of 1817, when young Betsy Bell becomes engaged to local boy Joshua Gardner. The pair are madly in love and are anxious to be wed. However, their carefree happiness is short-lived when one day, while coming back from a hunting trip, John Bell Sr. witnesses an apparition appearing seemingly out of nowhere. What he initially thinks is thick fog begins to morph and take the shape of a large dog. The dog allegedly rose up on its hind legs, bared its teeth, and went to run at John who quickly took aim and shot at the dog. When the smoke from his rifle cleared, the dog was gone, leaving no trace of his existence behind. A slave of the Bells, a man named Dean, reportedly saw the same dog some days later, although he recorded the, quote, animal not paying him any mind. The mysterious visions continued throughout when John's son, Drew Bell, spotted a giant bird the size of a man perched on the family's rooftop. Drew recalled the bird watching him from up on high but making no moves to attack or fly down. The bird simply watched Drew as he came towards the house and entered inside. Betsy Bell was the only person in the home to see the spirit in a human form. Betsy repeatedly saw a young girl wearing a green dress and a bonnet which obscured her face. The girl would swing from the limb of a large oak tree that grew on the Bell's property. Betsy would see the girl often and would sometimes try to catch her attention, but the girl never acknowledged Betsy. She never left her alone either though, always appearing at the opportune moment when Betsy would be the only one to see her. After these small instances, the Bell family began to hear growling throughout the home at all hours of the night. 
Incessant knocking would ring from within the walls, and the sounds of animals gnawing on bone could also be heard. The youngest of the bell children would also hear animals gnawing on their beds and furniture at night. Lucy Bell, John Bell Sr.'s wife and Betsy's mother, was also constantly awoken by the sound of dragging chains going up and down the hallways, sometimes even occurring within her and John's own room. The odd noises and apparitions were chilling, yet harmless. And although the spirit had a fondness for Betsy and her father, it hadn't done anything violent. Yet. That passive, if not unnerving, streak came to an end when the youngest of the Bell children began to report bedsheets and pillows being thrown off of their beds. Soon after, feet were being pulled and legs were being grabbed. Once the dam broke, the spirit made its first verbal communication, naming itself Kate and announcing to the family that its mission was to t torment John Bell Sr. and his daughter Betsy. And torment them she did. John quickly began to experience a paralysis of the mouth and jaw so brutal that it rendered him unable to speak or eat. He would go days on end without eating, unable to verbally communicate the pain or hunger he was in. And on the few occasions that he was allowed to speak, he would share that Kate would not allow the food to pass down his throat. Likewise, Betsy suffered pinching, slapping, biting, and hair pulling. Sharp pins would be found in her shoes and in her nightgowns, and she was repeatedly stabbed by needles and kept awake at night by shouting and taunting. Kate even scratched Betsy's face, and when asked why she tormented Betsy so, she proclaimed that she wanted to ruin Betsy's face in the hopes that Joshua would find her unattractive and break off the engagement. James Johnston, a close friend of the Bell family and a fervent member of the church, coaxed the poltergeist one night in the hopes of revealing where it came from and why it was truly there. Was Kate really just there to break up an engagement, or was there more to the story? Johnston said that they were dealing with a, quote, spirit, just like in the Bible, and so he felt well-equipped to get some straight answers out of the poltergeist. According to the authenticated history of the Bell Witch, when the spirit was asked, who are you and what do you want? It replied, I am a spirit. I was once happy, but have thus been disturbed. When asked what had disturbed it, the poltergeist gave multiple stories. One was that the spirit was angry because a Native American burial ground had been disturbed on the Bell's property. The spirit had even given Drew Bell and his friend Bennett Porter a vague account of where the burial ground might be located, but when they went out in search of it, they found nothing. The spirit also told the family that Betsy's engagement had awoken her from her slumber. However, throughout multiple seance sessions in which they contacted Kate, she told the family and whoever else was there that it was both because Betsy and Joshua were engaged and the wedding was taking too long to come, and because she didn't want them to be married in the first place. Overall, they could never get a true answer out of the spirit, and Kate seemed to relish in the confusion and frustration that it was causing. In 1856, an article for the Saturday Evening Post reported that during a session of communication with the spirit, Joshua Gardner, Betsy Bell, and her father asked Kate how long she would be with the Bells. The spirit replied, until Joshua Gardner and Betsy Bell get married. 
the Post article went on to run a salacious story accusing Betsy Bell of learning the art of ventriloquism and was using her newfound talents to con Joshua Gardner into marrying her. The article reported that Joshua Gardner had been hesitant about the engagement, and when Betsy found out about his already forming cold feet, she took on the persona of Kate the Poltergeist in the hopes of scaring the young man into completing the marriage. This newspaper article cannot be proven and was taken as gossip upon its publication, with an accompanying picture of Betsy Bell with wild hair and levitating off the ground. Whether the spirit was angry because it didn't want Betsy and Joshua to get married, or because the engagement was taking too long, it wanted them to get married right away and no one knows for certain. As the years went by, the poltergeist lessened its attacks on Betsy and seemed to focus heavily on John Bell Sr. It began referring to him as Old Jack and repeatedly threatened to kill him. His mouth paralysis intensified and he often starved for days on end. He was constantly in pain and would awaken with massive bruises throughout his body. It became difficult for John to breathe or sleep or function without the aid of Lucy Bell or one of their slaves, and by 1820, John Sr. was completely bedridden. One cold night in December, as John laid in bed, he took a spoonful of medicine and closed his eyes. He would never open them again. A few days after his father's death, John Jr. found the black vial of supposed medicine that his father had taken. Surveying the bottle and finding the liquid a tad suspicious, John Jr. decided to give some to the family cat. Upon swallowing it, the cat shrieked in pain and jumped up in the air. By the time it hit the floor, it was dead. It was then that John Jr. realized that his father had been poisoned. Before he could speculate as to who could have done such a thing, the poltergeist cackled saying, I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night. I fixed him. Although everyone in town knew that John was being tormented by the witch, his death still came as a shock to the people of Robertson County, Tennessee. No one thought that the witch would go as far as to actually kill John Sr. They knew of the threats and taunts, but to actually murder a living, breathing man? The witch obviously had more power than they realized. It was reported by multiple sources that during John Bell Sr.'s funeral, in the middle of the priest's final prayer, the poltergeist could be heard laughing around the grounds of the Bell family home. She sang drinking songs and celebrated his death. Her mockery became so loud that the priest was unable to finish the final prayer. The Easter of 1821, due to the stress of the Bell Witch's attacks and the death of her father, Betsy Bell called off her engagement to Joshua Gardner. That night, the spirit confessed to Lucy Bell that it was satisfied with the outcome of the broken engagement and with John's death. The spirit told Lucy that she vowed to leave the remainder of the Bell family alone, but would return in seven years. And that's exactly what it did. In 1828, on the seven-year anniversary of when Betsy called off her engagement, the spirit returned. However, this time, Lucy was prepared. She and her sons ignored the poltergeist activity that sprung up, and eventually, Kate just went away. After the bell hunting subsided, 
many newspapers and magazines theorized as to what really brought Kate the Poltergeist down on the bells. The Poltergeist itself had given multiple stories with the intention of perplexing the bells and anyone who would ask. It seemed to take enjoyment in confusing people and would laugh at their frustrations. In the end, all we curious bystanders are left with are theories. But theories can be fun. One theory suggests that the entity was the spirit of a deceased witch that lived in a cave that is now known as Bell Witch Cave, located only mere miles away from the Bell residence. Betsy Bell and Joshua Gardner used to frequent the cave, and it was a local hotspot for children and teenagers to play in. Some believe that Betsy and Joshua engaged in some not-so-decent acts within the cave, and that one disrespectful act brought the fury of the Bell Witch down on Betsy and her family. If we're to believe this theory, why go after John Bell Sr.? Why cause his death and then leave Betsy alone? She did end up breaking her engagement to Joshua because of the witch, but she was alive and relatively unharmed. If the witch was upset with Betsy, wouldn't the roles be reversed? Shouldn't she have killed Betsy instead? Regardless of whether or not you believe this theory, the Bell Witch Cave is known as a popular haunt spot for ghost seekers. Many have reported hearing giggling and talking within the cave, and people often emerge from its depths with scratches and other marks upon their bodies. Another theory is that the witch was summoned by someone who had a vendetta against John Bell Sr., Professor Richard Powell. Richard Powell was the formal school teacher of both Joshua and Betsy, and often spoke of his fondness for Betsy and his intent to one day marry her. There were several problems with that, though. First off, Powell was 11 years Betsy's senior, an age gap that made her father uncomfortable. And second, rumor around the town was that Powell was already married to a woman named Esther Scott. The pair supposedly secretly married, although he presented himself as an eligible bachelor to Betsy and everyone else around town. There was also no evidence of the supposed marriage, such as wedding photos, witnesses, or even a license. Ultimately, John Bell Sr. disapproved of the pairing and Richard Powell never got the opportunity to propose to Betsy before she was engaged to Gardner. He never stopped expressing his fondness and love for her, although he was overheard wishing them a long and pro prosperous marriage, much to the confusion of his peers. So what are they accusing Powell of doing exactly? There are two different stories. The first and most popular one being that amongst Powell's many eclectic hobbies, such as horticulturalism and mathematics, he was also heavily interested in the occult and ventriloquism. He was often seen showing off his ventriloquist skills to his students and people at parties. Many theorize that Powell would often sneak into the Bell home or linger by windows and doors in the dead of night to throw his voice and create the haunting voice of the Bell Witch. Because most incidents happened at night, Powell relied on people's fears to ensure that no one would find him in the home. A rough drawing of the home also shows that the cabin had minimal windows, so even in the daylight, it would be difficult to see him skulking about. Powell, as the poltergeist Kate, would demand that Betsy break her engagement to Joshua Gardner in the hopes that once single again, he would be able to propose to her. The second theory is that, as a follower of the occult, Powell summoned the spirit that lingered within the now-named Bell Witch Cave to torment John Bell Sr. for stopping him from his marrying Betsy. 
it was his hope that the witch would scare John into breaking his daughter's engagement. But controlling spirits is no easy feat. The witch went rogue and attacked Betsy as well, although not as violently as John, and ended up murdering John instead of just frightening him. Regardless of whether or not Richard Powell had anything to do with the haunting, it seems as though he ultimately got what he wanted. In March of 1824, Betsy Bell married Richard Powell. Legend says that the marriage was cursed, however. Out of their eight children, only four reached adulthood, and one of the four, a boy named Leftrick Reynolds, died in the Battle of Franklin, Tennessee during the Civil War. He was only 23 years old. Richard Powell himself suffered a massive stroke in 1837, which put an end to his budding political career and he and Betsy's exciting social life. In 1848, he died in his sleep. Betsy's health soon declined after, and she quickly followed her husband to the grave. Despite Betsy attesting to the fact that she and Richard enjoyed a happy and loving marriage, they dealt with extreme poverty, death, mental anguish, and isolation for the majority of their marriage. It is said that because Richard used the witch as a minion for his own bidding, the witch cursed Richard and Betsy by association with an arduous and painful life. So what brought the Bell Witch and her wrath down on the Bell family? Was it the need for vengeance from a disturbed spirit, or the actions of a jealous lover that went awry? No one knows, and after almost 200 years, the mystery of the Bell Witch is still unsolved. In his book, M.V. Ingram writes, Whether it was witchery such as afflicted people in past centuries and the darker ages, whether some gifted fiend of hellish nature practicing sorcery for selfish enjoyment, or some more modern medicine akin to that of mesmerism, or some hobgoblin native to the wilds of the country, or a disembodied soul shut out from heaven, or an evil spirit like those Paul drove out of the man into the swine setting the mad, or a demon let loose from hell, I am unable to decide, nor has anyone yet divined its nature or cause for appearing, and I trust this description of the monster, in all forms and shapes, and of many tongues, will lead experts who may come with a wiser generation to a correct conclusion and satisfactory explanation. So it seems as though M. V. Ingram is waiting on one of us to solve this mystery. Both the Bell Witch Cave and the Bell Cabin are able to be visited in Adams, Tennessee, and those who wish to pay their respects to Betsy Bell can visit her grave on the grounds of the Long Branch Cemetery in Yalabusha County, Mississippi. If you do decide to visit the cave, or the home, or the burial plot, I suggest you tread lightly and politely. You don't want to disrespect someone and invariably take something home with you. Thank you for taking this haunted journey with me today. If you want to hear some more myths, legends, and scary stories, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. Until next time.